So the idea there is to sit there and, and, and say, you know, we win by helping each other to get uh, the exposure. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's resonating. It's, that's exciting. And I, I think that, I think that speaks to more than just like culinary. Like that's even like, like we say the same thing about like comedy and stuff. It was like, the, absolutely. The rising tide raises all boats, you know, like, and I think when Indianapolis does well in kind of anything that we all do better. Yeah. The, I, you know, the brain connects over to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm eating brunch with my people though Homie doctors cooked up a feast and we bout to eat it bro Fucked around and had to miss the lobster with the protein Daddy is rolling blue dream, them boys got down a routine Snap town culture, cooking seven courses Had to pass the torch and now I'm grabbing second portion So sit back, relax, grab a drink and a smoke It's hard to brunch on the way and get prepared for the jokes Whoa, it's hard to brunch, yeah It's hard to brunch, whoa Hi, welcome to the Hard Bunch Podcast. I'm your host, Tech Michaels. With me, as always, my co-host, Thaddeus J. McKee. All you need is love. The ones, the twos, the wheels of steel, the soft spots of Indianapolis, and the last woke dragon. Give it up for Zach Rohn, everybody. Howdy, doody, dandy. <laughs> hey, I like that. Seemed confused. <laughs> a very special guest with us. Uh, first time in studio from Culinary Crossroads, Larry Dickerson. Welcome to the program. Thanks, guys. It's Yay. great. It's great to be here. You didn't, you, you didn't have a catchphrase ready on, on deck? I was going to go, bam, ba, da, da. There it is. All you need oh. is love. <laughs> there it is. I love that. Are you a big Beatles fan? I'm a huge Beatles fan. Mm. Man, yeah. we were talking upstairs about the Beatles, and he was he was there for the Beatles when they <laughs> when they started. You know, when they started, they, they came out. And what, what was the album they came out with first that you said you liked? Well, I liked them all. I followed them all the way uh, through. I was telling him at, at that particular time you'd – buy albums at grocery stores and so mm, we, we'd go whoa. to the big town and anderson to the payless and my mom would shop and i'd go to the aisles and then every time there'd be a new beatles album that would come out i'd bring it home put it on to the turntable and play both sides until i'd memorized the whole album and i was just telling about the big shift where you know they were doing uh she loves you yeah 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 and and then they go to help and the next thing you know here comes like rubber soul like what the hell is this happening here and and rubber soul revolver sergeant peppers yeah it was really a it was really cool time and at the same time i'm growing up i'm going through adolescence and these guys finally just like you know what we're we're gonna play what we want to play yeah Um, and it was a really tumultuous time in the country and they were just sort of you know, just um, breaking it up, saying we're not going to play the way you used to play it. So I'm a big, big, big Beatles fan. There is also something about, like you were talking about, like going to the store and buying an album. There's something I feel like people miss out today, especially like young people, about yeah. not having like the physical music, like going like, you know, whether it was a record or you like it, like it was like tapes for me, but you know, it was like going and getting something where there was like a physical con, you know, tactile contact. Like you were saying, you were learning the lyrics from the, like the liner notes, you know, like that sort of thing. I feel like we, we lose a step with streaming. Right. And there's the art. The art was like Artwork, a big yeah. thing. Like it kind of like transitioned to music videos. Right. But like right. art was like huge in like the, the CDs. And just the whole social strata that was with it as well. Like it, and, you know, in, in those particular times when you're off to college and you're hanging out and you're going over to a party or somebody's house, one of the things I used to love to do is say, Hey, where, where are your albums? 
Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, party be getting going and just go through there and yeah. start you know, seeing what, see what they had there and said, Hey, you mind if I throw this, throw this on? And you know, that's a lost, that's a lost art. Oh, it just doesn't. Yeah. You gotta learn a, a bit about a person doing this. Like, so exactly when he goes over to people's houses, he goes through their medicine cabinet the same way. And he learns, <laughs> he learns, learns about people that way. You yeah. tell a lot, tell a lot more from music or the medicine. I mean, I listen to music while I'm eating the medicine. <laughs> oh, okay. But. Captain's always got to take his cut. <laughs> yeah. I like how he's like, I thought originally he was just looking in the medicine cabinet. Now he's just taking pills. No, I kind of use it as a way to like read the bones. Like, you know, I eat some of them. I look at some of them on a plate. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. Divine from it. That makes sense. Now, if you want to play like an album from somebody's like music deck, you have to know their password to their phone. Yeah. 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 So you can't you get their face to unlock it. Yeah. Like yeah. You have to, yeah. I like that. You could go to their music deck. I can just pull out a record. We don't have that anymore. A few years ago, uh, during the during the summer, it was really fun. Uh, we'd go out and get with folks, and you'd be around, you know, boating or campfires or whatever, and bring out the portable speaker. And and so uh, I'd play this game, say, okay, you're up. Uh, and you'd be queued up. I'd say, okay, come up with your song. So you're queuing it up, and everybody's mm. going to say, get ready to go. And it's really interesting because it's sort of like giving everybody a chance to get their genre up. Yeah. And then they, they listen to the other music with a, some intensity because it's like, oh, NLD, I didn't know that you, you really like that that group. Oh, yeah, that's been one of my favorites. So mm-hmm. it's a really cool thing in terms of socializing that takes the music and still makes it part of it, right? In the past when you had albums, like they're throwing that album on, I guess we're, I guess we're going with the Beatles tonight mm-hmm. or, you know, we're going to go uh, soft country or rap or whatever the case may be and mm-hmm. that you know you just you don't have that as much anymore i've learned a lot about music just from working in so many kitchens over the years and then people because i was always i'm the first to tap out because like i've seen music fights get pretty intense you know or like somebody's <laughs> like no i want to play my music you know so i'm much more of a like a passive observer when it comes to music i'm gonna play whatever you know like i don't want to get into an argument over it but yeah, I, I definitely listened to so many genres of music. I don't think I ever would have kind of found organically if it wasn't for working in a kitchen. And someone was like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna listen to this." Yeah, yeah. Today in today's world, you know, if you get on on whatever your channel is, like mine, Spotify, a lot of times, you'll just take a particular group and say, "I'm I'm just gonna go with that genre." Mm-hmm. It'll it'll bring you back to listen to that. Oh yeah, I remember how much I really enjoyed that and mm-hmm. um out at um our our country club if you will we have a bocce tournament so it's a bunch of older folks that are out there playing bocce on thursday nights and drinking and having a heck of a time and nice. and i've i've been self-nominated myself for the music person so, hey. I'll, so I'll, I'll bring it i'll bring it out there and you throw that on and all of a sudden you know the 67 year old is 23 that's out there dancing around or whatever yeah. so it's a I, I love love music and and the beatles were they really were their foundation point for me. Yeah, that's crazy. You said you're 67. You seem you seem to have, like have such a youthful energy. He's not 67. No, I'm 65. Oh, but, 65. but that was in 67 when I was oh. when I was 10 years old. So gotcha. you know, it's like going on some 10 year old kids. Uh, head at that time and watching the Beatles yeah, go through yeah. there. So I like that. Like Dyke's like that seems like a lie. He's like, well, it is. I'm not. But thank you. Yeah, I, you know, you're you're as young as you decide to be. I, I really believe that. Yeah, I started getting called old when I was 26 years old. When at 26, because I think I just always hung out with younger folks, and I continue to. So like, I was like 26 living in Bloomington, 
And 26 in Bloomington, you're supposed to be out of there. Yeah, and you're, so you're like, that dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't he left yeah. yet? <laughs> you a super senior? What are you doing? Yeah. I'm supposed to be gone in four years. Yeah, I was definitely that guy. They're like, uh, you're old, man. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm only 26. They're like, go be 26 somewhere else. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> Creeping us all out. And, and when you're 26, you're moving to D.C., if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, I I had uh, graduated from from university. Was working for General Motors Corporation, uh, one of the divisions. Uh, this was in Anderson when Anderson had okay. sixty seventy thousand people. Oh yeah, and I had been out worked for three years, and you know I I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, at that time, if you were sitting there in twenty six and not married, you're like that mm-hmm. dude that's still yeah. at school. Like, yeah, what's wrong with uh, And I'd always had an interest in politics, so. I just took my resume and myself and, and headed out to D.C. Oh, wow. Did you have a career in politics? No, I, I well, I ended up being involved in politics. I learned about political fundraising and uh, took me back to Michigan, where I went to school mm. at General Motors Institute. It's now called Kettering University. Okay. Mm. Quick little side note. This is at the time when General Motors was like the Google or the Facebook or in terms of its just massive power. Huge, yeah. It owned and operated its own undergraduate uh, engineering university. Oh, wow. So you had to get uh, selected by the school and then get selected by the sponsoring division. Mm-hmm. And you go there and five years later, you know, you could sit there and work for GM. At least you thought you could for the rest of your career. Yeah. And three years out, I said, I can't, I can't do this. And I had an interest. So I went to DC. I wanted to learn about tel- politics and you either go on the policy side or you go on the fundraising side. I mm-hmm. went on the fundraising side cause it's more like marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that ultimately brought me back to Michigan and another, you know, another world working with a small technology company and get involved in local state, national politics. And it was quite, it was quite the run. That's where getting to culinary crossroads and tourism, that's where I sort of cut my teeth because mm-hmm. the technology firm uh, that I worked for, um, we ended up getting a contract with Travel Michigan, not Pure Michigan at that time. Okay. Um, and we got the contract with them to basically take those big four-color travel guides. Yeah. You know, you dial an 800 number. I was telling them when we were having brunch, which, by the way, the brunch was just awesome. Oh, thank, hey. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Kudos to oh, you for that. we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, so they had this, this guy that was running it had come from American Express, and he said, well, why don't we just take all that information that's in this travel guide? And for t- today's audience, they'd say, well, of course they did that. But this is, yeah. you know, bit, a bit a while ago. And why don't we put it all into a, a database so that when that person dials that 800 number, you can just basically give them the information they want immediately. Yeah. Right when they wanted it. So somebody's going to come up to northern Michigan. It's going to be in October. They got their kids. They, they So they want a hotel that has an indoor swimming pool. And say, well, here's four of them. And we give it to them right over the, the phone. And then we had this radical technology that we used called a fax machine. Oh. <laughs> and we would send that out there to them. And that was like... That was yeah. the king. I mm. mean, and uh, so that's what got me exposed to working with travel and tourism uh, industry. And next thing you know, we're selling that technology to not just Michigan, but six or seven other states around the country. It was it was pretty cool. That's and, wild. And what I want to point out that that was Hoosier hospitality going into technology, and that's what someone really needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, at, at that particular time, we ended up working for. Uh, for Indiana tourism as one of them, but mm-hmm. this is when I'm living up in Michigan. I had, I had left uh, Indiana and I spent 20 years 
uh, up in Michigan before, you know, living in a lot of different right. other places around the country. But, you know, it was the whole idea. And it, some things didn't change. You know, data is still king, right? Yeah. I mean, at that time, it was the same way. How do you get someone what they want, when mm. they want it, and put it in front of them to influence them? Yeah. That's awesome. That's crazy. When you were talking about that, it reminded me of, like, when I was a kid going on vacation with my grandparents, and they had, like, the AAA it was like a triptych thing and it was like a flip over map. Yes. It was like Google maps, but analog. Yeah. And you just like flip it over like every hundred miles or whatever. That's how I learned how to read a map. I remember it was like navigating for my grandparents and being like, Oh, we got a right turn. Like I was like the original Siri of the car. Or yeah. whatever. <laughs> you were the original. Siri. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had, the, I had the, I had the Rand McNally, the big ass one oh, yeah, there yeah, that yeah, you'd yeah. have and throw that in the suitcase because when you're heading out to another state and you're getting on here and said, okay, I've come in here to Chicago and I've got to get to Springfield, get the I still Ram like McNally when map out. When I go, man, when I, I'm old. When I go out of town, <laughs> when I go out of town for comedy, I still like buying a physical map. I, there's something I, I like about having because I, I have a better idea of like the size and shape of everything. If I'm looking at my phone, I, I can't tell where anything is in relation to anything else. I'll, I'll get there, you know, give yeah. you directions, but I don't have like a kind of like a, a mental map of where I'm at, you know. I'll tell you how old people. This is this is how you know you're getting older. The more angry at technology that you're getting, <laughs> like when I'm when I'm driving around with someone that's like, oh, just turn that thing off. It's not working. It's can't trust those things. That's that's at least a decade older than me. Yes, you know, <laughs> you know. What I mean, the more that, that they trust the technology, the younger they are. Yes, that's right. Wait, that's right. You saying you've never been led astray by a GPS? I mean, I but it was my my fault. Yes, <laughs> Zach, that was very rude. I, <laughs> can you hit the shame button for yourself, please? Just a shame. If anybody knows me, I'm very bad at directions. Um, but anyways, but Dyke, you you do get mad at the GPS when I'm when we're on road trips. Oh, this was pointed. This was oh, pointed. Yeah. At I, I, knew, I knew where it was going. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I've. It's not he just. It's, it's not just that. It's any time. Like, if I know where I'm going, and someone is like, I can tell they're waiting for the next thing, and I'm just like, shut your secretary up. I know where we're going. We'll get <laughs> yeah. you there. So <laughs> I'll use. I'll technology use the, slurs. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll use the GPS, but I'll look at it like, like I'll, I'll put in the address just to make sure there's no traffic, and I'll look at where I'm going and get like a four road, you know, idea. Yeah. And then I'll have it on there to keep me on track. Now that's the only time it's bitten me in the ass is because i it does know the traffic sometimes right and i'll be like go this way it's faster and then it's like the road closure i didn't know about yeah. and i'm like oh all right there's no road here anymore you this was 10 years ago but there's also been times where it has not been aware of the of like a construction yeah. situation i would say it's 50 50 i'd say it works 10 percent of the time yeah okay well i just trust my gut that's what <laughs> yeah. i do yeah that works. I drive, I drive at home with no headlights, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's, he's bringing up something that was an honest mistake. I'll just tell you quick, real, okay. real quick, LD. Uh, we were going to a comedy show. We were going to watch this very funny man uh, named Tim Dillon, and I forgot that my lights were out. Um, I had one light out. So uh, when I drove there, another light went out. So when we tried to drive back from Ohio to Indianapolis. No front lights. Right. And I thought, you know, there's zero front lights. Yeah, I, No, your face is correct. Your reaction is 100% correct there. I, yeah. yeah. That's, imagine being in the car and finding this out. Here's the thing. Man, it's cloudy tonight. I can't see shit out there. LD, you've drove on the interstate before, um, being a traveling man yourself. Yeah. Uh, 
it's pretty light on the interstate, right? Right. So I'm thinking maybe we just like kind of follow a truck close behind. Or the moonlight. Or the moonlight. <laughs> you know, be guided. <laughs> Many people have been guided by the moonlight. Yeah. Uh, it did not work. No. Wow. No, we got we got we got we got we got one headlight working and that was enough. But yeah. then when we got halfway cuz it was like you're tricked in the city cuz you think there's like an ambient light and he's yeah. like, "Look, we can we can see." We can make it and back. I was like, "We're in the city." We were halfway between Ohio and Indianapolis and there's no one else around and I go, "Just let's do a little experiment. Turn that one headlight off for a second." <laughs> and he turned it off and it was it was like you were dead. I mean, there was just like there was nothing. <laughs> and that split second of terror and I was like, "That's what it would have been like. We would have been we would have been dead." Um uh, we want to obviously talk to you about culinary crossroads. No, we do whatever. We talk about the Beatles. We talk about, you know, it really kicked up when it went to MapQuest, right? Then you could like print out the maps and you'd have yeah. that with you there. So, yeah, we had LD on the history of travel guidance there. Well, no, that, that that's very interesting because, like, like so, how did that? How did your career? How did that kind of turn into what you do now? Like, how did that happen? It it's sort of. Um, you know, this has been a culmination of, you know, 25, 30 years of a circuitous route with a lot of great experiences. And uh, I came back to Indy full time about seven years ago, seven, seven, eight years ago, seven. And having been out on the road, done a lot of work uh, with travel and, and tourism, uh, worked with a lot of different organizations. And I'm back here and, you know, that same uh, opportunity that I had to where I sold it to one state ended up that I was then selling it to nine states that worked great when you're in the club, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, technology is like a commodity and then everybody and their brother gets in there and then Mm -hmm. somebody else comes in and you're not in the club. And there's always this herd mentality that would take place with state tourism organizations. So I had some ideas about how I thought you might be able to get at it in a little bit more entrepreneurial way and in a way that would resonate much differently if you go back in 1993 where, mm. you know, we took that travel guide and we put it into a database and yeah. an 800 number. Similarly today, um, it, it's great that you have websites and their investments, but people just make their decisions a lot, a, a lot differently yeah. than they do then, right? They, they may go to vet something on a website, but you don't usually go in and say, you know what, I've just made it to, uh, I've, just, I've just made it to Birmingham. And so I'm going to go on to the Alabama or the Birmingham website to figure out where I'm going to go to eat tonight. Mm-hmm. I can yelp it out. I can do so many different ways to where yeah. I can instantly get it. So the, the, the strategy and tactics of how you promote the state and how you promote the brand, I thought was different. And that's what got me you know, talking to the administration. And uh, culinary was the one that sort of uh, brought me to it because when I moved back, I had a chance through friends of mine to get to know a lot of the you know women and men that were really making it happen mm. and and I had and I had been flying in throughout my career and been spending a lot of uh, a time here so every time I'd come in I'd fly in Indianapolis and I'd come and I'd stay downtown I'd say man this city is this city's really growing up and I'm seeing a lot of cities around the state yeah and I I came to believe that you know Indianapolis I still believe it is one of the you know top two or three tier two cities in the country. Let's go. Let's get an applause for that. I mean, I'm here for that, Andy. Andy, you heard it right here. And uh, and so um, you know, 
what came with that was the the culinary scene. And you know, you heard me talk when we had the popcorn event about mm-hmm. Greg Hardesty, and you heard John Brooks and Esteban yeah. talk about him. And I got to know Chris Ely and Neil Brown and and yeah. Abby and that that whole group of rock stars that sort of shaped the scene before I was even here. Um, but um, they had some ideas of what they wanted to do to try to you know raise the awareness of the culinary scene, mm. and a lot of that had to do with doing pop ups you know, outside of the state and then reciprocate and bring them back here, which uh, good idea and great to go out there and do it, but fraught with exposure, right? Yeah. Nobody shows up mm-hmm. or you get a hundred people there and somebody thought you should have 200 mm-hmm. or whatever the case you know, case may be. Uh, the, the biggest problem that I thought we had was, well, what do you do next? What's, what's the narrative, right? Uh, how do you keep water in the sponge mm-hmm. as I use in, in terms of, so, that's when we came up with, why don't we create the brand and we created Culinary Crossroads. And you'll see, you know, on our stuff, there's, there's four stars, people, products, places, and services that define Indiana's culinary landscape and make it the place where people want to live, work, and play. Um, so we took that to uh, travel and tourism. We took that to the agriculture through the administration. We took it to Ivy Tech Community College with their culinary school and, and others. And our first foray into it was food sports competition. Nice. Uh, so we now promote this uh, team, Indiana. Uh, we've got seven, eight of them that are heading to Dallas, and I'm heading to Dallas on Tuesday Man. for the World Food Championship. So that was the first way that we got into it and said, I think we can, we can build this brand. That was, we started those discussions in 2018, mm. and we launched with uh, going to the uh, World Food Championships in 2019. So as, as you guys know what you're building here, which is really cool brands or products or whatever, they always take longer than you think. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's been a, it's, it's been a great journey so far. Absolutely. Larry, you're my hero. I want to look like you when I get older, not physically like, cause that'd be white, but but like what you're doing is like the, the connecting and, and, and all that that's, amazing like and like i think it's cool that you've started connecting with like you're talking about working in politics and going back and forth across the aisle and trying to get things done um at the heart of things and then like what you you have a eye or a vision of seeing all right culinary is the glue to get people together and and that's just amazing to speak well thank you so much and and you know i i think i was sharing with you when i when i got involved um in wanting to learn about politics as i said i really just wanted to figure out you know, how folks went about getting elected um, and didn't know whether I wanted to run for office or help people get mm-hmm. elected. And and always felt in my mind that no matter what happened, if I understood that it's at the foundation of the of the country, that it would always be helpful to my own business, to my family, mm-hmm. to whatever businesses I've had, because everybody and their everybody and their brother can relate to the political world. They can relate to the campaigns and and actually, you know, in my business, including with Culinary Crossroads. Uh, I take every project on as if it's a campaign. Yeah. And if you think about it from that standpoint, you got a certain amount of time to get yourself elected. Being elected may mean grow your show, change your organization, Mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. But you also know that during that period of time, whether it's 18 or 24 or 36 months, that you have to have the patience to know that it's not election day. But you have to have the commitment that says if you're not doing door to door today or you're not raising money, you're not going to be in any position to win. So that helps that helps people to get through the little stuff and mm-hmm. realize that it's important. Yeah, it's very interesting, too. Like you were talking about, like even in the 60s, 
when you it was like late seventies or early seventies when you got into politics. When was that? It was a, it actually I went out there and it would have been in nineteen eighty three. Okay, nineteen eighty three. Well, you're, we were even talking about even the sixties, like how like the arguments like and the the different policies or, or where people stood were different. Like people were having different conversations and trying to move the country forward. I was talking to Stuart Huff too. He's like even back in the day when they, like there wasn't even like a. a red and blue party when they first built our country but like the conversations were like very different and like it's just interesting to see how everything evolves now and then how every time that there's a big conversation it feels like pandemonium but like still we get through it somehow bro are you a federal federalist i messed that up (laughs) i sat on it for like a minute and a half you should have just just gone with it yeah (laughs) can we get the boo button yeah really good (laughs) I, mean, like, I think we're all I think aware. I took the boo one off. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's for me, too. Federalist. <laughs> nope. All right, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just making a point, like, the, the conversations have changed. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, if, you, if you're fortunate enough to, you know, have longevity in your life and you've been out there and been active, mm-hmm. you sort of live history, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, I, I was a kid. You know, during during that at, during that time, and it does really help you along the way. Now you got to be careful about that because then you know your, you know Uncle Lair that's like okay, tell me about all that, and, and they Kennedy don't want it. But but if you if you give it to them in the proper context to say you know let me you know let me set this straight that you think we're having tough times right now, which we are having tough times right now. Think about a time when you had a president assassinated his brother assassinated the leader of the black movement assassinated all in a period of four or five year period of time. Mm. Meanwhile, you've got kids that are over in Vietnam that are leaving and several of them aren't coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Beatles are taken off and music's taken yeah. off and it's sex, drugs and rock and roll. It was a crazy, crazy time yeah. in, in this country. And, and um, you know, it, made it for myself it made me formulate that says there's always going to be people on all sides of issues mm-hmm. and find areas where you can bring them together and like, i will tell like you food food and I, and I and, and i would yeah uh it, more than two can get a little complicated right? but, <laughs> but uh and and you know with culinary crossroads that's one of the things that we're you know able to do you you, you bring folks in around whether they're supporting food sports competition or they're supporting a dinner series or young professionals are going to a popcorn event. And you find out that that's something everybody can agree upon. That's something that everybody enjoys. And that's something that makes a difference in the way a city develops and the energy that's associated with it. Now you guys, you, you brought up popcorn twice. Did we, do we actually say what popcorn was on here? It's a uh, it's it's us trying to target and get to the young professionals. The, the 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 as I've told and kudos to to Heather Brogdon and Gwen Marcantonio who really came up and had the creative creativity and the energy to get out to that group and to John and Esteban. But the the idea of popcorn is that message about people, products, places, and services, and defining you know Indianapolis and Indiana. Today's leaders that are running the HR departments and building those business are a little bit older. Those folks that we had in that room uh, last week when we had the popcorn event, mm-hmm. they're going to be the ones that are going to be making their the decisions. You know, we want them to stay, number one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we want the companies to be able to recruit others. So getting them tuned in and finding ways to communicate with them, we had to have a, you know, sort of a younger message. 
And um, I'm always a big believer in message and message carriers. So put somebody out there that connects with that group, keep the brand consistent in terms of it's no different for them when what we're talking about to the 55 or 60 year old. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, that's how you grow the brand. I mean, that's, that's, I feel like very similar to Carter brunch, the culinary crossroads was like, when I, when I started this podcast, I wanted to do a couple of things. Obviously I wanted to have a comedy element to it. Sure. But the, the, every comedian almost has a podcast where they talk to other comedians and they're great. You know, a lot of them are great. So I was like, well, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel just talking to other comedians. And I was like, the other thing that I'm passionate about is the food service industry and specifically the Indiana, Indianapolis food service industry. And, you know, I, I, I previously have been a small business owner and um, been in the culinary scene, you know, to some degree, most of my adult life. And there, I know there's so many people, there's so much talent, but I felt like there was at the time when Indianapolis, the culinary scene was shifting and evolving a lot. You would see a lot of the same people mentioned in a lot of the same uh, conversations over and over again, and, and not to take away anything from not at all from those, but I, I knew so many people that were talented in Indianapolis that weren't being interviewed, that weren't getting that that shine, and that was kind of my mission statement with Heart of Brunch is like I want to talk to a variety of different people. I want to talk to sure. people not just at the the top of the game, but like some people, you know, maybe the, some people at the back of the house that aren't getting or the, the bottom shine. of the game, or the bottom of the game, or the people that are just starting off, basically, you know. Or the restaurants that are closing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've done... We've done... Uh, <laughs> Talking people down <laughs> off a ledge. Yeah, like, you're going to be okay. You know, they, they, but restaurateurs and chefs, as, as you know, they're some of the most resilient people yeah. that I've ever met. Absolutely. I, 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 I'd, if I had to go to war, I'd go find me people that are in the food service industry because they're survivors. Just case in point of just coming through the pandemic. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that makes it tough in that space is... Um, it's such a, you know, um, a disparate group of, of individuals. So they're, and they don't organize real well, right. Mm-hmm. They, but they, but they're for each other, but they're not organized. So yeah. you can have bailouts for the airline industry. You can have bailout for the manufacturing industry, this, that, and the other, they never could get their hands around that, but look at it. They come out of it and you know, the vast majority of them made it. And, mm-hmm. and the other thing that I think is really great about them is that they don't spend any time really complaining. It's like, you know what? We got through that. They're like people in the South that go through hurricanes. Mm. It's like they just yeah. know we will get hit with this hurricane, a recession or whatever the case. That was a super hurricane in the pandemic. But, yeah. but still, they'll go through that, and they'll just pick the pieces up, and they'll go, and they'll recreate themselves. There was a time, and I think it was kind of like later in the summer of 2020, when the whole landscape of ever, I mean, a bunch of things that got canceled and, and people had lost their jobs and lives and it, it was looking real brutal. And then slowly people just started trying to, okay, how can we do things safely? How could, and I, I would notice stuff like, like Bluebeard doing like a barbecue outside or like people like completely changing their business from a bar to a grocery store. Right. And I remember walking around like Mass Ave, walking around like Fletcher Place, Fountain Square, and just seeing like all these businesses, because you could see everyone that was outside if they were doing anything. Nobody was doing anything inside. Right. And you would just see the the transformations these people made. And I there was part of me that was like, man, like we are, if nothing, like industrious, like like human beings, like there's especially like in this city, there's just something about like it was just like interesting to see the way people like, all right, how do we go forward how do we figure yeah. this out how do we curve how do we 
you know, make make something work. Yeah, and they and they are our chef ambassadors, right? I yeah. mean, they're they're the ones to where their particular restaurants or they're following. People say, "Hey, come in here. You want to get an idea of what Indy's about? You know, I'm going to take you to this particular restaurant." And they know when you're coming in there, they take good care of you, and they 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 take that on with a lot of pride and a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And one of the subtle things that we have done with uh, Culinary Crossroads, whenever it has included chefs is we are adamant about paying the chefs. They are, they, are, they are the talent. We want to change that mindset that says when you do either large events or small events, carve out the dollars to pay these women and men to come there because they're the star of the, the, star of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was something that um, when I was talking to some of them getting this going way back when, I said, what's one of the, you know, what's one of the things that really needs some work on? And I had a number of them saying, you know, we want to help, but – they can't keep asking us to do it for free. Mm-hmm. So we, we pay our chefs. And then what we did when we did our first spring dinner series is we had them to create their cause of choice. Oh, wow. uh, so it was whatever particular nonprofit organization they wanted to give to. And we carved out $500 for each one of the chefs over the 12 chefs uh, in that first year and had them to give that to a cause of their choice. I love that. Wow. It was really, it was really, really interesting. And in, you know who, what they chose to give it to. Sometimes it was a very personal mm-hmm. issue. Another mm-hmm. one, it was for a particular issue they cared about, whether that was medical or immigration mm-hmm. or whatever, but it showed that says these people are paying attention. These people see these organizations and it brought the awareness up to the folks that were at the dinners as well. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. Let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Cool. Gen Z can't stop raving about the Harder Brunch Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Harder Brunch slaps. No cap, the Harder Brunch podcast is bussin' on God. Move over, Boomer. Gen Z's here to talk to you about the Harder Brunch Patreon. Harder Brunch podcast on Patreon, $3 a month, low-key a steal. The Harder Brunch Podcast Deadass has me bricked up every day. <laughs> Listen to these all totally real testimonials. No, like, I'm getting paid to do this. Don't worry. Yeah. No. You think I do this for free? No. The Harder Brunch Podcast Deadass slaps. Sound younger! The Harder Brunch Podcast Deadass slaps. Just go to patreon.com backslash harder brunch. The Patreon After Brunch Podcast hits different. That shit makes you feel shit. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We're talking to uh, Larry Dickerson. Larry, uh, you just got your first Harder Brunch experience today. Um, I don't know how to like segue into what do you think about brunch without sounding like what did you think about my brunch? But uh, like, hopefully, we extended some hospitality to you and, and, and showed you a good time. You know, it was uh, tremendous, and and um, you know, having all the exposure to squash because we were talking about that that. That that I, it's it's something that I have not been one to dive into, but I you know having it today and the mm-hmm. different iterations was uh, was fantastic, and I think it you know it makes me think about um, when you try to get folks to decide to go to different restaurants and take on different cuisine, they're really reluctant yeah. uh, to do that, and you know today the the different uh, presentations of it. Now I had you know, good counsel at the table that folks said, now go, you know, go slow here because you're going through 
what was it? Six courses, I think that we. Yeah, you're welcome. That we had, uh, and uh, I saved your life. You did save my life. <laughs> like, I better hold off here. I'm going to. You know, we've done these um, dinners at Paramount Schools of Excellence that uh, Tommy Reddick has there, uh, and that's another culinary crossroads initiative called the Supper Club, and it's one chef, six courses, thirty people. Oh, it's, wow. it's fantastic. We'll have to get you guys uh, there next year for it. Yeah, and it's one of those where you have to sort of. Uh, pace yourself all along the way. Well, you said thirty courses, six courses, thirty people. <laughs> oh, thirty people. Okay, I heard that wrong, but yeah, I can't do that. Yeah, it was a marathon. <laughs> I'm like I'm out. We, we, yeah. we came in the morning. Like the movie Seven. <laughs> we watched all the Born Identity movies, and uh, no, but um, and it was interesting when the the chefs were taking you through this. Of if they thought about it as well, like you know what you're gonna you're you're gonna have uh, yeah. food sweats by the time you got through course four. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was really really enjoyable. Um, thank you. Uh, we'll, real quick, we'll just go through. Yeah, um, we had some, you know, Zach and I had some fun with this one because uh, we were trying to think of like a a, a a good fall theme, you know, and so we came up with the uh, Gord Almighty. Which, squash base menu. Squash base menu. Which originally I was just like I didn't. I guess I wasn't a hundred percent sure on the difference between gourds and squashes. So the gourds are typically more your like decorative, like the ones you see on the table and stuff like. that. I feel mm-hmm. like some of them are crossover though. And you could like, decorate with an acorn squash. That, that is true. Which I did today. Um, but then also like I never thought of like a cucumber as being a squash. Mm. Oh, yeah. ah. some cucumbers. I never thought about that either. Uh, so we we're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do all this and work. And I think Zach and I feel pretty comfortable. Like like we've been cooking together for like a couple of years now. We feel pretty comfortable. If once we have the the hardest part, sometimes it's kind of coming up with the theme. And then once we have the theme, we're just like, oh, I, I know how to play around within. Can this. riff on that. Yeah. Like- so. Uh, when we came up with it, we were both kind of excited because I could see like my gears turning, his gears are turning, and I look at Thad's face, and Thad's just like, "Oh, neat, we're eating gourds for breakfast." I, I do think, from the perspective, if I like came on as a guest and was like, "Oh, I got the the gourd episode, great, okay, <laughs> yeah, we rocked it," that, you know. Gourd but I feel out. like if you right. if you you know kind of come in under expectations, then it's really good. Yeah. Well, we almost we were like. Literally, mm-hmm. like, a week off of, because uh, Alan Sternberg wanted to come on, and he would have, like, done, like, uh, like a pumpkin, like, ravioli or something like that, which would have been amazing, you know? Like, right. And I was just like, yeah, this is going to be great. Uh, you did uh, you did the first course? I had a spaghetti squash carbonara. Uh, it was just uh, bacon, spaghetti squash, uh, eggs, and, and butter. It was a pretty simple uh, dish with a little bit of Parmesan over it. Over it. And that, was, and that was called squash mince and repeat. Squash mince or yeah, mince and repeat. Oh my gosh! And that bacon flavor through it was the bomb. And you gave me a, a tip to take that bacon and yeah, I cooked two my hours bacon on two twenty at, at like two twenty for like almost two hours, like between an hour and a half, two hours, and then uh, I covered the 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 spaghetti squash in the bacon fat before I roasted that to to pull it. Wow. So good. Um. We've done carbonara quite. When we say quite a few times on here too, it's like you have to think of. We do about fifty-two episodes a year, and there's like 
four to six to seven things. Yeah, usually if there's a carbonara, uh, Dyke has me do it. Like I show up and he's like, well, I'm doing a carbonara, so here's the ingredients. <laughs> I go, here's everything I prepared for you. And then you, just, you just make it perfect. Like the you same with hollandaise. You know, there's some go-tos where I'm just like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Right. So, wait, he's your Hollandaise man he's now? He's the Hollandaise yeah. guy. He's the sauce I've boss. Been, I've been sauce the Hollandaise guy why, why nearly would, every time. Why would I not ask the sauce boss from Indianapolis There was to one time the that Bridget made the Hollandaise. Yeah. And oh, then I didn't. Okay. Other than, I don't think Dyke... I don't know if he makes like, hollandaise. Yeah, because I, I feel like I've seen you make hollandaise before. Yeah, at, uh, no, he like place. he just stirs some mayonnaise in the corner and then <laughs> has me do it. And then that's where you get That's it. how you make it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Editing's a really wonderful thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I did the uh, crab stuffed zucchini. Uh, I got to borrow and play around with one of my friend's um, uh, vegetable sheeters. with a little KitchenAid attachment. So... I don't know. It's just like there's there's a certain kind of food nerd that's excited about this. Like I was excited to borrow it. He was excited to show me how to use it, you know. And then like I get here day of and I'm started struggling. Like I had bought all these zucchinis and like half of them weren't working. And I'm just like this damn thing's not working the way it's supposed to. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he got these just basically paper thin sheets of uh, zucchini and then wrapped it up and um, like a excuse me like a. A nice, like, little crab dip. And I didn't want to do anything, like, too crazy. So it's just, it was just, like, crab and then, like, some, like, herb garlic, uh, like, borzen cheese, um, a little old bay, and, like, some green onion. Let me and, just tell you. And what was the wrap? It was just paper-thin zucchini. So that's the gourd. It's yeah. just wrapped in the... And then uh, it was like, you know, I wanted it to be a nice, a nice chilled dessert. So, like, when you originally do it, as soon as you, it's so thin, as soon as you sheet it, it starts drying out. It's almost like paper, right? Mm -hmm. So then you put the, I put the stuff in. All right, first I kept the sheets in water because I was like, oh, this guy's going to dry out and be gross. <laughs> it would be weird to eat, like, like eating, like, weird paper. So I put it in water, and then I would just, like, roll them out real quick, and then I just put them in the fridge until they were ready. And then it was just, it was like a nice chilled you right. know dessert whatever it wasn't it was the sheet <laughs> thank you count it count it <laughs> uh, and then uh, Zach you had the next the next course the next thing I did was a uh, pumpkin risotto uh, I made the risotto I also poached an egg in uh, apple cider uh, and then I had some brie in the risotto as well as a brown butter that I poured over top. Yeah, that's where that's where I had to like pull back a little bit on the I, accelerator. I noticed that you got hesitant. I got on yeah. that, because on that one, and I love it, <laughs> but it was so so rich, yeah, uh, and so good. I thought if I do that, then I'm going to say, "Hey, can you got a pillow and a blanket?" Yeah, exactly. you know, I'll be back in about fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times at these tables, I feel like it's the Odyssey. I'm like, don't go towards the sirens, guys. Like this is out here right now. If you go for seconds, you will die. And so, well, we have changed it up. We used to uh, do things like drop our pasta or rice dish at the very end of the meal, <laughs> like almost as a dessert. Uh, and we stopped doing that because that usually upset the guests. Yeh, sometimes the <laughs> their stomach. Sometimes yeah. the heaviest thing would come. 
Every once in a while, we would drop a dish after dessert. That would really mess with people. <laughs> Some people were like, oh, I made it, I made it. That was like a, the Shyamalan was, twist at the end. The spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> yeah. I always hated to be the presenter at a conference, right, that you're like the 130 speaker on the third day of the conference, and <laughs> that's when they decide to serve pasta. Oh. <laughs> they don't they, want to they, listen they, to anyone they, lo- they lower the lights down. They got to chill in the room. And all of a sudden, it's like... Uh, Everybody's just snoring during your speech. <laughs> uh, the biscuits are great. So I, I think this one I did just for the pun, which was, uh, oh, my gourd, Becky, look at her butternut. Uh, butternut squash. No, that's the wrong one. Sorry. This was the acorn squash biscuits and gravy, um, which was, so I like the biscuits and gravy I've traditionally done. Like I used to be the brunch chef of Blackacre when they first opened, and I would do a, a fried biscuit. Yeah. With either like a chorizo gravy or I would do like a, a veggie gravy. And um, so this was a play on that. I knew I wanted to do something with squash, sausage, parmesan, and sage. And that became like f- a few different things. Like first I was just kind of like going to roast it all together. Then I was going to make it into a soup. Yeah, and then uh, and then uh, one of my chef friends is like, why are you not just doing biscuits and gravy with that? And I was like. Oh, yeah, that's what's a way better idea. <laughs> and so uh, did that, served it with a little little fried sage there. And, um, you know, it's like, I'm, it's totally different. Like, if you're not used to that fried biscuit and biscuit and gravy, I feel like it's a, a fun departure for people. I, you could have pulled that. It was almost like a cinnamon roll. It had a, a, that taste there to it to where, you know, if you didn't have the gravy on it, you could have had some icing there on oh, it. Yeah. It was a separate one yeah. and, and a crunch. It was yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird donut, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Um, but I I was pleasantly surprised by how the, the squash actually blended into the biscuit gravy, and I was like, I didn't want it to be like a weird thing where it's like, ah, I see what you were trying to do here. Like, this is baby uh, food and biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> baby food and biscuits. <laughs> I was trying to avoid baby food and biscuits for sure. But uh, also, man, there was something about like that. Um, that acorn squash, it's not something I eat a lot of, and so it roasted up real nice. And I like, I really enjoyed like just like the the natural flavor of it. Um, and then um, real quick at the end, we just a butternut squash bread pudding with a friend of the show. Circles ice cream, circles ice cream. Are you familiar with them? No, I I will be now though. Oh my word, the best hands down ice cream in town. And it's at a, I've known really the, I've known this guy, the owner Wes. I've known him since from like concept. Well, he would come in with his test flavors. And where are they located? Uh, so they're they're located uh, downtown, but they they're only open like one day a week, I think, to the public. But they have these ice cream vending machines around town. So there's like there's one at Wildwood Market. There's one at um, uh, Goose or, or not Goose the Market, but Smoking Goose. Really? And then you go in. Ice cream has these weird kind of rules about how they how they can operate or whatever. So like one of the workarounds for getting it into markets was he has his own separate like freezer with basically like a QR code on it, and you just go up and you just pay with your phone and just buy it straight out of the thing. The, it's like a vending yeah. machine. If you're a fan of ice cream, be careful because I turned some of my friends on to this. I'm like, hey, you should go check out some Circles ice cream. They're addicted to it now. Yeah, yeah. they go every week and they talk to me about it all the time. So, well, and he, he cracked the code for me because like I'm uh, a, a fat kid from the '80s and '90s, so like <laughs> I grew up on like Dairy Queen, 
with like that blizzard mm. and basically he perfected like almost like a blizzard in a pint where it's just like it's ice cream and then like a layer of topping and then yeah. ice cream layer of topping ice cream layer of topping so it's not like i've had so many ice creams where they put a little bit of topping at the top and then once you get you know into the the first quarter there's, there's no, no more f- there's no more toppings, topping. there's no more flavor and then so he layers it so even when you're at the bottom it's 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 consistent all the way through I, did I just see a chocolate peanut butter and jelly oh, ice th- cream cone? This was it. This was the pumpkin roll ice cream that was served with the uh, squash bread pudding. And this is great. And the, the, the saddest thing about this for me is that I know most people, as soon as Halloween's over, they don't mess with pumpkin until right. next year. And this was so good. Heck with your pumpkin lattes and your, your, your you know pumpkin spice, whatever. This pumpkin roll ice cream. Yeah. Was, Don't talk pumpkin with me unless you've had pumpkin ice cream. Yeah. Right? That's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, look at these beautiful pictures. Look at that chocolate PB and J. Like, what is he, that? He really is a just like a. a I, I said I sent him a picture. I said I, I made this today. He was like, Oh my gosh, this looks great. He's like, How was it? <laughs> like, it was great. You know, well, we'll have to uh, uh, we'll have to think about them when we do the spring dinners. Like this yeah. last year, we. We expanded it to three chefs each week uh, instead of two, mm. and the third chef we added on was uh, pastry chefs. Yeah, uh, because we wanted to bring the attention to says you know that's a that's a discipline and they have yes. a, a following that's there. It gives me a great idea of bringing them in on on, on the dessert side for for next year. Um, but that's you know that's 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 why we're doing what we're doing there. Exactly. It's like it, that that falls into the pillar of products, right? Yep. And uh, whether it's ice cream there or we've had Maple Leaf Farms. You guys know that Maple Leaf Farms is the largest processor and distributor of quack, duck quack. products. <laughs> of what? The, duck, duck products in the country. Oh. They're, they're up slaughtering 40,000 ducks a day yeah. at, their, at their processing plant. It's exactly. an amazing operation. I mean, Zach slaughters ducks every day, too, but his numbers are not close like to two that. or three. <laughs> Neighbors don't like it when they do that. <laughs> Recreation. They're not my ducks. <laughs> Like the last quack is always the toughest. <laughs> the last yeah. quack is definitely They're the not toughest. even ducks. <laughs> Speak, yeah. I'll just say this. I'll just say well, ducks. Yeah. Speaking with our gourd theme, I don't think Possums. Gordon Bombay would like that. Duck slaughtering. That was good. Mighty, that was good. Mighty <laughs> ducks, any Mighty Ducks fans out there? Can I get a help? <laughs> Can I get an amen for that? Amen. <laughs> okay. Can I get a flying V? Can I get a flying V? <laughs> ducks fl- get uh, slaughtered together. So, so tell tell us about like all of the different events that you guys do throughout the year. Sure, sure. Um, you know, we we tabled them uh, or sort of uh, marked them as initiatives. I told you about the food sports competition, so we'll be down there with them, and you know, we're really pushing to uh, advance uh, that whole theme of food sports competition, and we're currently uh, working on hopefully at some point uh, to bring that championship to Indianapolis. That's our goal. Our, and our goal is to become the food sports uh, capital of America. Let's go. Yeah. You know, and, nice. and, and it, and it fits, it fits in with, you know, when you take a look, I think Heather was talking about it in terms of what we do in sports marketing and sports corp has been out there and their whole theme is where, you know, champions are crowned and food sports competition falls right into that same area just as gaming does today right i mean it's turned into this big dollar high profile same thing with food sports competition so we'll we'll be working on that we're um 
we have a big partnership with Ivy Tech Community College, and especially their their culinary school. Mm. Um, they have four active campuses with culinary. They have have had up to six, but they got nineteen campuses uh, around the state. So anytime that we're going out around the the state, we're we're partnering in with uh, with Ivy Tech Community College. And I bring that up because one of the initiatives that we have right now is that Skills USA, who does statewide competition, actually national competitions, a lot of discipline. They do it in the culinary arts for high school kids as well. Mm. So we're getting behind with Skills USA and, and Ivy Tech, and there'll be about 150 young kids from different parts of the state that'll start signing up here at the end of the year, and then they will compete in regional competitions and then come to Indianapolis uh, next April for the championship. That's great. And, and so we're putting that as an initiative to sort of raise the uh, awareness because yeah, that goes in with having young kids to not think of culinary as sort of the last result or, or you know, last resource if they're going to go down the road of thinking mm-hmm. proactively about a career in that. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, that's an initiative. And then finally, on the uh, uh, having the dinner series, we've talked about the spring dinner series, mm-hmm. but from the beginning, we decided that says this is a statewide initiative. That was important. Everybody was involved. Going back to my experience in working with travel and tourism organizations, you always would hear the states of saying, hey, we've got this statewide initiative, and then never get out of the, the large city, the capital, yeah. or whatever the case would be. And said, so we just didn't you know, want that to be you know, part of the equation, nor did the folks that we were working with. So we started the On the Road dinner series. And so it's been a, it's been a great project for myself. It's sort of like going back and doing Indiana history again, because I go out and doing the homework. So go down and find out who's making things happen in the culinary scene in Evansville and new or new Albany and Fort Wayne mm. and uncovering that. And then bringing those same sort of resources together. We did, we did one in uh, Evansville last October. We did one in new Albany in May. Uh, we've just put in the finishing touches for doing one in Fort Wayne in February. Nice. And then got discussions for doing one up in the region area, uh, Lafayette and Terre Haute. And it's, you know, it's, it's amazing because, one, when we go up there, in terms of social media and earned media, it's a great play. Here comes a statewide program that comes into the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ends up getting bipartisan. There's, everybody wants to be involved in it. Right. So we're working with the local government, irrespective of what party they are. Mm-hmm. Ivy Tech Community College is involved. The tourism organizations in that area the chefs, and then the business owners. And if you think about it, all of those organizations have a vested interest in culinary. Yeah. It, all, it all plays into their brands. It all plays into what they're trying to accomplish. And so that's a, that's a really important uh, initiative for us. And then this January, uh, we're going to start a biweekly newsletter, uh, uh, email newsletter, old school, but still, you know, when you think about a, a very – Powerful tool is still email that's going into everybody's. And every two weeks, we're going to split the state by north, central, and south and have five to seven culinary-related events that we're going to highlight Mm. that are taking place at that time. And we're going to identify a different restaurant in those areas and, and write a story about it. I love that so much. That's great. I'm really excited. You were naming off all the cities, and Fort Wayne is one of those cities that I think gets slept on so much not just for culinary but for a lot of stuff like yeah. i but i especially for culinary i know a lot of chefs up there like that's the place i went for uh to like hang out for my birthday just to treat myself i was like i just want to hang out in fort wayne and like 
go to these breweries and eat this it's food. It's a cool, the downtown area is yeah, very is. cool. Really you know, cool. They, they've got the new Bradley Hotel that's mm-hmm. down there and a bunch of restaurants are in that area. Uh, but yeah, that story resonates in different parts of the state. And and the argument that, that I would make and that we would make is say, you know, getting more exposure for those areas is the best thing that can happen to make Indianapolis even cooler. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's cool right now. I love what I love what John Brooks said. It's not New York style culinary. It's not Chicago. It's yes. Indy. Yeah. And and that culinary scene as well as deciding to come and, and live in Indiana is the fact that says if you plop down here within three hours or less, you can be in all these great little areas and drive to it. And when you think about with you know metropolitan areas, that's nothing. You know, my, mm-hmm. my sister lives out on the North Fork of the Long Island and every time that they're going anywhere they're driving, you know, two or three hours right. and you can yeah. go out there and have that experience. So the idea there is to sit there and, and, and say you know, we win by helping each other to get uh, the exposure. Yeah, uh, and and it's resonating. It's, that's exciting. And I, I think that I think that speaks to more than just like culinary. Like that's even like like we say that the same thing about like comedy and stuff. It was like the, absolutely the rising tide raises all boats. You know, like and I think when Indianapolis does well in kind of anything, that we all do better. Yeah, the, I you know the brand connects over to the the others the arts. Uh, for music, for comedy, you know, those all come in under, you know, the umbrella. We, we started with culinary crossroads, but we, we hope, and, you know, thanks to meeting folks like you, we learn more about here's what's happening on the comedy scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's what's happening on the music scene. Mm-hmm. And that all comes into content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the low hanging fruit for all that we're doing is people go to our restaurants, buy our products. We have great agricultural products uh, uh, throughout the, the state. The more strategic side of it is that, you know, just like we were talking about with those young professionals, mm-hmm. if you're trying to recruit folks to come and work for a business, whether it's large or small, you may know you want that individual. That individual may want to uh, come and work for you, but they're just not sure that they decided they want to come and live in the Midwest and live in Indiana. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the strategic. You know, the more content that we get, the more people that, that talk about culinary crossroads, the more that ends up being an asset so that you don't have to sell them one off every time when you're recruiting somebody. Yeah. You know, you can sit there and say, check out, follow culinary crossroads, go to their programs. We'll take you to some of their programs. And if we have those type of activities that are happening throughout any time that people are coming in, they can find something to do underneath that, that, that brand. I love that. And it's also too, like, just like that positive talk, like what we were talking about, like you said, all rising tides, like the more you can support and like even fit in the conversation, like who you're proud of in your city, you really do become that ambassador of your space. And so like, and like, that's really important. That's what you're doing all over. We're, we're doing that. And, and the other thing too, is we're not looking, nor should we be the ones to create all the events. Some of our, we've told folks from the, from the beginning is that we want to put a megaphone on something that is really good and get more people to know about it. Yeah. When there's something that we think that we can create, then let's go and create it and let everybody rally around there it. So go. it's it's that mix. So, you know, we we get folks like you all that are saying, yeah, you know what? We live at the culinary crossroads. I mean, that getting people to put that into the way they describe mm-hmm. where they live, it's yeah. everybody's brand, right? And then, uh, that's really what we're working towards. And we do things there to just sort of, keep water in a sponge, build the narratives. But mm. all of a sudden you guys say, you know what? We are the culinary crossroads. Yeah. Right. I mean, everybody, we, we want that to be where somebody takes that and, and runs with it. So you may want to get behind like 
I don't know, let's say like a meat cake invitational, like if a bunch of chefs got together. <laughs> well, you didn't get lost on me. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, you're asking Upland to kind of help you. I'm like, where Yeah, how do we get in? Yeah, no, I, I, we're interested in those types. I mean, when we, when, we do the, when we do the initiatives, mm. we like to find folks that can take out there and run it. They understand, they embrace the message. And if everybody is sort of staying consistent with the idea, you, you guys all know brands. We all know what brands are. Oh, like yeah, yeah. Have everybody to stay on message all mm-hmm. along the way. Do, do your programming. But at the end of the day, think about it. You, you know, what you're doing is you're talking about people, products, places, and services. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about culinary. That's the kind of stuff we get excited about. So, you know, when I had the opportunity to come in here and talk about it, knowing that what you guys are doing, reaching out there, that's, you know, we all win with that. You all win. Um, where do you see, where do you see like the future of Culinary Crossroads going? Um, I see it just as, just as I was talking about that it would be people would, when they would think about uh, Indiana mm-hmm. and they would, and they would think about culinary, they, people would say, oh yeah, you know, that's the Culinary Crossroads. We if go. we if we if we get it to that point to where it ends up being associated Naptown, I heard that in the yeah. right. Yeah, Naptown ended up being a really cool brand at that particular time, right? They they took that and made that a, a very cool brand, and everybody sort of rallied around that. Um, that's the biggest strategic side of it. Uh, so if we get that to where whether it's chefs or people that are in social media or businesses that they describe and says, Oh yeah, we live in the culinary crossroads and here's all the the things that are happening there. That would be, that would be a big victory. We changed the name to nap town because there's so much food. Like you're going to have to take a nap. Right, because <laughs> it used to be right Naptown because there's nothing going on. There, there yeah. used to be, and they turned that right to, yeah. to, to make yeah. that was actually a, a pretty cool hip uh, uh, right. way to talk about it. Naptown culture, yeah. Um, so that's where you know, and and if we um, we get the World Food Championships, and we're going to keep going at that. I mean, yeah. it, you know, fingers crossed. Um, if we get that, imagine that year in year out, we're hosting the World Food Championships. And uh, some of the themes that we play around with is that, you know, one of the things that they do so many good things with taking the 500 and building around that. Yeah. So they do the whole, this is May initiative, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine this is October. Yeah. Right. And this is October when everybody comes and rally ra- rallies around food sports competition. We reach out to all the different agricultural uh, activities of, around the state and everybody comes in during that month with a number of different programs. And everybody eats gourds and everybody's like gourds. <laughs> gourds are us. Yeah. So that's that's you know, we're we're uh, but it's just like like you're doing one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah. When absolutely. we, when we, when we took the, our first initiative was those seven to eight people in 2019, taking them down to the world food championship, because one of the biggest challenges that we had, I said, Hey, we got this brand. And I was asked by our underwriters say, well, you know, uh, what do you want? I said, well, first of all, do you think it's a good idea? Yes. Okay. I'll be back to you <laughs> because you know, when you come out finally and go, it says, okay, we're here. Let's, let's keep going. And, and then, you know, for example, popcorn, getting back to popcorn, we've known for that same three-year period of time that we needed to find a way to speak to the young professionals. That was a different message carriers and message, but still within the same brand. But you just never know for sure when you've got the right yeah, team, the, the right, team. The, right mm-hmm. team, the right energy, and the right people in place. And combination of folks like Heather and 
and Gwen, but also uh, our teammates and partners like John and Esteban, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've been, I could go on with Chris Ely. There's, I, I, I could give a bunch of names, Craig yeah. Baker, the, it's so many of them, of having they've watched us and seen what we've doing, and we can come to them and say, hey, guys, and they're, they're great. You know, they are the, yeah. the chef ambassadors. They are. Uh, what's your, uh, what, what, what are you whipping up in the kitchen? What what is your culinary background? What do you like to cook? You know, um, I'll I'll do a lot of different uh, pastas. I'll play around with I, I I try to play around with meat. Nothing overly sophisticated, but um, you know I like to do stuff with chicken. I like to do stuff with pork. A pork I've come you know for Jenny and I. And we we eat at home. Maybe it was that's from the pandemic where we had to right. Mm. But we still have for us we're built around cooking. I'm the one that cooks and do the meal planning. Yeah. So I like to. Um, play with different uh, proteins um, and with, with different rubs or spices there with them. And then surround that with uh, various fresh vegetables and some different pasta, nothing overly fancy, um, but uh, you know, good food day in, day out where it's fresh. It yeah. just, it just, you feel better with it. Absolutely. Good, 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 wholesome, clean cooking. Uh, yeah. Like that's more than I do. So, well, I grew up, you know, it, it, going back to background, everybody's you know, always wondering, well, where did you get that? When I, when I was growing up, my, my grandfather, a lot of times, you, you, usually it was the women who was in the kitchen that was cooking, but my, my grandfather, which was, you know, worked on the railroad and was a hunter and came up from Kentucky, as I was telling you, he, he cooked a lot of most of the meals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so he had the cast iron skillet and, and the you know, beans that are being made and good old fresh vegetables mm-hmm. that were there. And I, I, I grew up with, with saying, Hey, you know, that's a great way. And I saw where everybody rallied around it. So when I cook, uh, it's not overly sophisticated because a lot of times the folks that you're with, they don't, I don't necessarily know how to do it, but they don't necessarily want it. But the things that you know that you can yeah. stretch them out with, um, and then, you know, come in and kind of serve them. And yeah. I've always thought that if you create an environment where we love to entertain over at our place, mm-hmm. whether it's four people or 14, mm-hmm. uh, that they'll say, well, what are you going to do? And they'll say, well, LD will cook. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I, and I love it. That, you know, right? Then you, you just got everything. There's no surprises, and people can relax. It's, it, just, it's so important. You, you hit them with that hospitality. And then you don't know that Zach burned a bunch of bread. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, <laughs> I they're just, so, they're just so happy. Yeah, we put it outside where it needed to be. <laughs> I was wondering, was like, it did bread wasn't wrong. in the course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You burned bread. Yeah, I stayed in there too long. Can well, you, that's how you burn things. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick. A, oh, I had a question yeah. before we, we yeah, drop any, any beat. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about White Castle now? Well, this is an honest oh. question. Because... He was telling us of the story, like he was telling how his family would get into a, a wagon, uh, a Volkswagen, was it? No, it was a station wagon. Station, oh, station wagon. wagon. Was, even, was, even first better. of all, you said wagon like, like it was a yeah. covered <laughs> wagon. Yeah. That yeah. was rude. Yeah. And, um, a couple people died of dysentery. <laughs> <along the way. laughs> and, and you know, it, when we got it down to two weeks instead of two months to make the trek, when, <laughs> when we got that motorized car. Yeah, you got to chalk the wheels every time. <laughs> the horses would die and you'd have to. No, so that was the original Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. You would come from Anderson, right? Yeah, we come, we come from Middletown, east of Anderson. I was just telling them, be my, you know, my dad and mom and then my Basically, they're cousins, but we were like uncles. And then they had two boys the same age as me and my brother. Mm. So the four, the four guys would be in the back of the station wagon. 
that obviously the wife's had sent the guys back there and, and the trip was to drive to the White Castle, which was out by where it used to be the TP by the state fair. Yeah, yeah. And 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 drive in. And I was saying like sit back, how many White Castles are you gonna have tonight? Man, I'm going for four. No way, you are gonna have four. Yeah, I am. And so we get there, we'd all sit in the car. And the guys would get out. Next thing you know, man, they're just bringing out like big old sacks of White Castles and drinks. We never got out of the car. They'd just bring them in there, and then we'd eat them, and then we'd drive back home. But it was like driving to the big city and get the, the White Castles. Getting the White Castles. Yeah, oh so are you still God. a fan of White Castle, or is it? You know what? I, I would love a White Castle. Usually when I'm getting the White Castle is when most people I know are getting White Castle. It's like 1 o'clock. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like, yeah. And There's a lot of shame associated and I, and with I, White And Castle. I love it, but you got to want it because it's <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. For sure. <laughs> I like to, almost every year I make a White Castle stuffing. Because if, uh, if you get a sack of 10, uh, like no pickles. Yep. Um, it's pretty much stuffing. You know, a little chicken stock to it, a little celery and... There you go. Chop it up, and it's 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 a uh, stuff that bird with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm still I'm still a White Castle, you know, and and I'm a Waffle House. Uh, hey, person, you know, and and some of the some of the chefs that I know will tell you says they love going to a, a Waffle House. Oh, yeah. Said because if you want to see where it is a seamless, where it is working, you go into a Waffle House, and that guy or gal that's on that grill, and everybody's moving. Talk about a smooth running. Uh, and so this famous uh, Anthony Bourdain took a, like another chef to a Waffle House, or no, uh, another chef took Anthony Bourdain. He never been to Waffle House. It's if you ever have like fifteen minutes, it's one of the best things ever. It's just like they're like at the end of the night of drinking, and this Southern chef takes Anthony Bourdain to yeah. Waffle House, and then they just take like a tour of the menu, like they're at the French Laundry. But it's just like you know, like the servers like smoking while she's cooking for him. Like it's amazing. Yeah. Can you drop a beat for the music? Oh, my gosh. Larry, we could talk to you for another three hours. Yeah, that's true. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming by today. Uh, Thank you, guys. And I appreciate you uh, participating with us at the Popcorn event. And I'm I'm just uh, exciting to... uh, you know, have you as colleagues and friends and partners. And we love this stuff. We love it more than anything. And it's it's what I'm the most excited about doing is these kind of fun partnerships with other people that are also doing interesting stuff. Yeah. And kudos kudos to you all because well, of the contribution you. that you're making because uh, you know, that's how it all uh, comes together. So it's been a it's been a real treat. Uh, where can people uh, f- find Culinary Crossroads to keep up with everything that's going on? Yeah, I think on? that if old school website, culinarycrossroads.org. Uh, that's where you can get a, you know, kind of vet us out and see everything. Uh, at Culinary Crossroads IN on Facebook. I know every, and we have that on uh, Instagram as well. Nice. Uh, we tell a lot of stories out on, on, on Facebook. Uh, and um, usually I stay behind the scenes and let the, uh, the, the, let the brand uh, do the work. Well, you guys have so many awesome things going on. I think you definitely want to make sure to get out there and follow it. Um, so you know where the awesome things are going on. Daddy's Shay McKee, how about you? You can find me at Fab McKee on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, any new sites that are going to come up, it'll be at Fab McKee, <laughs> depending on what time you're listening to this podcast in the future. Zach Rome? I'd actually like to pass mine over to Casey, who does an incredible job on our video most weeks. Oh, look at that. He's crying. <laughs> not crying just uh have nothing to play you can find me um you can find me in a dope ass dress in st louis <laughs> thank you casey uh also i think it's funny that 
I think it's funny that Zach said most weeks. Like, sometimes he does a real bad job. <laughs> well, yeah, no, just the weeks that, that you're here is what I meant. Like, I didn't mean, you know. Wow. I'd say it's a solid 80% when you're here. You used it you as know. a diss. That was yeah. shameful. Sometimes, it's a passive-aggressive Sometimes plug. there is some phoning it in. But, uh, no, you always do an amazing job, and we appreciate you. Um, and, um, guys, we have an amazing Patreon um, where Thad and I... We are stand-up comedians, and we like to we like to be a little silly sometimes. It's a funny podcast. We it like gets, to be fun. Yeah, you know it because they say they're comedians, and they say it's funny. Well, <laughs> again with the PAP passive aggressive <laughs> plug. Um, you know, it is. A, I I think people like like oh wait, I'm not listening to the after brunch. Yeah. Anybody that's a comedy fan, you do want to listen to this because we get silly. It's only what three bucks. Only three dollars, and we should up that. I, it should be a. It should be fifty dollars, I think, for the amount of hilariousness. But yeah. if you get in right now, you can still get it for that that floor price of like three dollars. Right, right yeah, now, just right if now. You get it right now. now like look right at the, now. Look at the timer on your act screen. Now. If you act <laughs> now, <laughs> you know. can only. No, but uh, also like the thing is too is like this isn't just like an extra episode a week. It is an extra episode a week, but you also have access to. It's basically like our version of the Disney Vault. You know, like you, you get the back. You have like two years of episodes. I don't want to align myself with Disney. No, okay. Well, well, like you, it's it's the hard. Well, it's the harder brunch universe. The, yes. Yeah, our HB Plus. The Hardy is our new streaming service. <laughs> Hardy uh, Nation for Hardy Nation. Uh, it really is. You know what? There's a lot of controversy right now about Elon Musk <laughs> and the eight dollars for Twitter. Okay, but for only three dollars, <laughs> we'll undercut Elon Musk. I mean, you don't need Twitter. You just need these. Hilarious after brunch episodes. It turns out this was not a good ad. And <laughs> no, we love you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you guys for supporting, and uh, we appreciate you. Have a good one.